if you would, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And after you locate that, find the Gospel of John chapter 15. And we'll look at those and a number of others tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and John chapter 15. I want to talk to you about uh, first, and then we'll kind of transition on one of the most important truths uh, that you will ever discover as a Christian, that is how to grow spiritually or how to be Christ-like. Now, I've said this in each of the messages I brought here on Sunday evening. We're going to finish this tonight. That Christ-likeness does not come by seeking the effect or by seeking the fruit. Uh, By looking at the way someone behaves and mimicking that, uh, that's not Christ-likeness. That's externalism, and uh, it will not last. It's inside out. It starts in your heart. It starts in your mind. And as you walk with God, those qualities that are, are godly, which is just abbreviated form of God-like, uh, transferable qualities. God has two types of attributes. You could put them in two uh, characteristics, two categories of uh, communicable and non-communicable. Uh, God is faithful. You can be faithful. That's a communicable attribute. God is holy. You can be holy. God is mercy. He is love. He's just. You can, you can do those things. God is omniscient. That's a non-communicable attribute. That's what makes God God and God alone. God is omnipresent. You can't do that. He doesn't share that with anybody. So he has non-communicable attributes that he does not share with his creation that we will never have. But gratefully, he does share some of those attributes with us, and that's what makes us Christ-like. But we do not get those by writing them on a piece of paper and then kind of memorizing the definition and purposing within our heart on that morning that we're going to be that way. Now, there's three aspects of spiritual growth. This is not the message. I just mentioned this very quickly to make this point. And that is knowing, being, and doing. Uh, Each of those are different, but they're all related. And they interact with each other. Some churches focus on knowing. Uh, They're kind of notebook churches. That's not wrong. You ought to write things down. I encourage you to do that. But they kind of end there. Uh, Usually it's a type of a seminary church. And I'm not making fun of that either. I'm really not. But that if you get enough stuff down on the paper and you get the outline down, then you're going to grow spiritually. Well, the devil knows more than you know. And that's not true. Uh, knowing something doesn't make you a good Christian. And then some churches are, are doing churches. That the messages are all about motivating you and, and getting you to serve. Uh, I, I heard uh, one pastor years ago, it was probably more than once, where they said the, the purpose of the church is to win them, wet them, and work them. Win them to Christ, get them baptized, and go work them. Well, that's a part of ministry and, and salvation to bring people to equip them for good works and so forth. But if that's all it is, you're going to burn out. Uh, we need to serve the Lord. But uh, So there's knowing and there's doing. But the connector and really the driver of both of those is being. You see, it's possible to, to do what you're supposed to do and not be what you're supposed to be. But if you will be who you're supposed to be, you will do what you're supposed to do every time. And so I call those heart churches. And uh, I I strive as a preacher for the heart. I don't mean emotions. I don't mean sensationalism or sentiment. But you go after the heart. And when you get the heart, you will get the behavior out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaketh. Proverbs chapter 423, another verse that talks about guarding your heart. For out of it come the issues of life. And uh, knowledge fits in there because you have to know things about God. You have to know what to do. And that's why all of these things relate. You're supposed to do something with it. Um, On my notes, Eric and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. Anytime I preach, uh, almost every time, and maybe every time, even when I teach, I will always have uh, something for you to do. I used to have this, uh, what do I want them to know? What do I want them to do? Now, the doing is related on what I wanted you to know. It's not enough just to know something. You're, you're to act out of that, out of the, the text that you were 
just taught about. So what you do is important, but it's more important who you are. So uh, I want to talk to you tonight about evidences of humility. Evidences of humility. We've gone uh, about I three of these maybe, and we'll finish these up tonight. But only to say this, that I don't give you these as a grocery list. That, okay, I'll do that, I'll behave that way. Because you won't, you won't do this very long because it's impossible. Uh, the Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. There's only one person that lived the Christian life, that was Jesus Christ. And uh, you cannot live it. The, the, the best day in your life is when you get to the point where you say, I can't do this. You know, Galatians 5 talks about the frustration that you have. I, I can't do this. That's a good day in your life. And you realize that you cannot live a supernatural life with a, with a natural mindset or natural energy. It's impossible. You need the Holy Spirit of God to enable you, and He'll do that. Now, I want you to notice one of our, our tendencies, one of our first tendencies here. And you know the story here. Samuel is trying to find the king of Israel. Saul has been rejected by God. And by the way, he, God knew that was going to happen. Saul had natural gifts. I like one author. He, he called them unearned gifts. Unearned gifts. Um, he was just born with them. Uh, it's a dangerous thing to be born talented. You know that? When you're born talented, you, you re- learn to rely on your talent. And uh, you don't cultivate that. You're not grateful. A lot of other things. And so Samuel the prophet is sent by God to anoint the new king. And we know that's David. And as he goes out there, God gives him some instructions. You know this verse, but look at it. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance. Now what is that? That's externals. Uh, that's his physique. That, that's who he is, not just his face. It includes that. They, by the way, they had already done that with Saul. Saul was taller than anybody. He was a very handsome man. And he said, now this time, I don't want you to look on the externals. Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Again, he hits this twice. Now, Samuel, don't mess this up. Don't focus on externals. Because the first tendency is to measure a person by what you see externally. You know, churches, once maybe they get burned or um, by a pastor, they, they write this, uh, well, what we want in a, in a pastor the next time. And they can't, the apostle Paul wouldn't qualify. Uh, he needs to have certain gifts and a certain pedigree and education and so forth. And so we, we measure performance and personality and, and forcefulness and leadership, at least how we would define leadership in the business world. And so here's what Samuel says. He said, don't look for these things. Now, here's what God says. I have refused him. Now, that's good news, isn't it? That is for me. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, God says, I've chosen the foolish. And I've chosen those that have been rejected. In fact, he, he, he says there, I've chosen those that are at naught. And the word naught means zero, nothing. You know, on a scale from 1 to 10, you're, you're not even a 1. You're a 0. I, I want her. I want him. I have refused this man, this woman. For the, Here it is. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. That's our tendency. That's what we focus on. For man looketh on the outward appearance. But here's hope. This is good hope. But the Lord looketh. On the heart. I beg you, I plead with you to, to guard your heart, protect your heart, feed your heart. Um, look after, tend to your heart. I remember when our, our kids were younger that um, I was always careful to praise character over talent. I never told them they were the best player on the team, though uh, some years they were. It wasn't even close. But I never told them that. It wasn't to get more out of them. It was I just didn't want them to think that they were the best. It's a dangerous thing to praise talent over character. But I, if they did well, I would praise 
the time they put into practice or their attitude on the field when maybe they were tempted to get angry. And I was looking for, for the character behind that. Uh, would you look at John 15 now? I love this passage. Again, this gives me hope. And this talks about, we talked about the inner man this morning. And John 15 speaks to our tendency not just to measure ourselves and measure others by what we see externally, but our tendency to do the work of God ourselves. Isn't that easy? Uh, we bring our gifts or we bring our work to it. And you know this, sometimes you say, man, it's bad. We, it, it, it's so bad we got to pray. Well, maybe if you'd have prayed first, it wouldn't have got that bad, you know. Prayer is not the last resort, it's the first resort. And so uh, not only do we have a tendency to measure ourselves and others by externals, but we have a tendency to do the work of God ourselves rather than depending upon the Lord. And I'll not read all of these verses, a wonderful chapter. But notice in verse 4 and 5, I like these verses. They encourage me. John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you. just want to stop there. Abide in me. The word abide means to remain. It has the idea of remaining under, to be, to be consistently in the flow. That's what it means, to, to stay there. And what he's instructing us to do is to stay close to me. Years ago, I, I gave you this, that abiding in Christ is including God in on everything you do. That's what it means. Including God in on everything you do. Lord, that's, that's a beautiful song. I love the strings on that arrangement. God, that's a beautiful sunset. See, we think abiding in Christ is when you're in the Bible. And it's not. Lord, thank you for my children. Thank you for my friend. You've been so faithful. You've been good to me. Lord, thank you. And it prompts others. God, you've given me many friends. I've overwhelmed by my friends. And abiding in Christ is not a very public thing. It's just kind of the flow of your life. You begin to live that way, including God on everything you do and everything you think. Abide in me. Watch this, and I in you. So here's what he's asking us to do, to abide in him. But here's what he's saying. I'm already in you. When you got saved, you received the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8 9 says, if any have not the Spirit of God... Uh, you're none of His if you're not. You, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. So when you trust that Christ is your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, don't be afraid if you say, well, preacher, I didn't feel anything. Well, I didn't either. You take the Word of God by faith, and He entered into you. For example, uh, the things you used to do, you can't do. And if, or if you do them, you're guilty now. That's the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that. Don't do that. So when he says, abide in me and I in you, here's what he's saying. He's already there. Those of you that are saved tonight, he's there. And what you do is you just need to connect with him. Just connect with him. Abide in me and I in you as the branch. And here's the illustration. As a branch cannot, it's impossible. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. You can take a stapler out there and staple it on the branch and for a little while, say, look at that fruit. But the fruit's going to rot because it's not getting any nutrients from the stem of the tree. It's not getting it. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. And that really sums up the core of this, what it means. Jesus is the vine, and we are the offshoot. And he sends his presence and he sends his nourishment through the spirit into us he that abideth in me and i in him if you will include god in everything that you do the same bringeth forth much fruit not the person that pushes hard the bible does teach effort and work but if you don't do this you're not going to have fruit in fact you may have what you can do but you're not going to have what god can do through you he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Well, nothing? Well, the idea there is, is anything supernatural, anything spiritual. You can't accomplish anything in the kingdom of God. 
You can do some worldly things, but you cannot do anything supernatural that involves spiritual matters. You can accomplish natural means. So the secret here in John 15 is communion with God. And I can have communion with God because I'm in union with Him. I'm already, He abides in me. Now I just have to make that possible. When you get up in the morning, when you wake up at night and you can't sleep, when you go to sleep, when you look at your food and say, Lord, I have more food now than most of the world. Thank you for this. And you just have this this um, idea of the presence of God. And uh, you, you don't need to talk about it a lot. Uh, if there's a brother or sister, you can. But even then, it's, it's so personal. Uh, there was, uh, I can't think of his name. I know one, one of the men, I won't even tell you his name. But um, someone asked him about his devotional life. It was a question and answer time, and they said, it was a very well-known man. He said, would you, would you tell us about your devotional life? He said, oh, no. He said, that's too sacred and personal. I'll never forget that. Now, I do believe, I don't mind telling people about some of the ways and ideas and what it means. But I understand what he meant by that, because it is personal. It's not something that you go around bragging about. It's who you are. It, it cultivates that person. And who you are affects what you do. And as you learn these things about God, it expands that. Let me give you some quotes, and then we're going to get something practical here. Not that this is not. This is very helpful. I love Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon loved Christ. He loved Jesus. I try to read something by him every day. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, here's what he said. Has there not been sometimes this temptation... To do a great deal for Christ, but not to live a great deal with Christ. You see the differentiation there? Don't we do the first a lot of times? We, we do a lot for Christ, but we don't live a great deal with Christ. That's what I'm talking to you about. If you, if you do the former, you won't do it long. As I preached this morning, people are going to hurt you. You're not going to see the results that you'd imagine. But when you're abiding in Christ, you're able to, to keep that train going that God has called you to do. Then John Owen, one of the Puritans, here's what he said. He said, we have no power from God unless we live in the persuasion or the conviction that we have none of our own. What a simple statement, but so profound. We have no power from God unless we live in the persuasion that we have none of not of our own. God, I, I am unable to do this. I can't do this well. And then a man named Major Ian Thomas. Here's what he said. Christian living. Now this is heavy, but it's, you'll get it. This is pregnant with meaning. Christian living is not a method or a technique. It is an entirely different revolutionary principle of life. To be in Christ, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. There are those who have a life. Look at this. There are those who have a life they never live. That's powerful. They have come to Christ and thanked Him only for what He did. But do not live in the power of who He is. Uh, if you've never read uh, Ian Thomas, now if you look him up, put Major Ian Thomas. There's a I E N Ian Thomas that played football, and he didn't write any books. But uh, Major Ian Thomas, I believe he was British or Scottish, but uh, he, he only wrote uh, three or four books. But they're trans transformative. I think one of them, probably the best one to start with, is the, Sa the Saving Life of Christ. But every, every page is just like that. You, you read three or four sentences. You say, I need to think about that. I need to stop and think about that. Because it goes cross-grain against what most of us were taught. Let's just put it in third gear. Let's get going. Well, let's, uh, let's stop and see what God wants us to do. And let's go in that direction. And let's do this with Him. And that way I'll have more fruit. And I will endure through this. 
So as we talk about the, the evidences or the fruits of humility, and I, I'm just giving you kind of a, a list, and I, I'm hesitant to do that because that's why I spend time with this. Each time I give this, this lesson, it's really not a sermon. Um, the temptation is just to write down the evidence and say, okay, I'm not doing that well. I'll incorporate that into my life. And it's just artificial. It doesn't work. So quickly, what are some of the evidences? Well, we've covered these. Number one, doing the lowest and the most obscure tasks without complaining. You just do, you're a servant, and you have the mindset of a servant. You don't complain about it because that's your identity. The second evidence of of a humble person is humility reflects gratitude and wonder at God's blessings. And I talked to you last week about David uh, those couple of times that he went by himself, he said, who am I? Who am I? You see, David, David wept a lot alone. You will never weep publicly if you don't weep alone. David wept alone a lot because of, of the mercy of God and how much God had done for him. He was a humble man. And then thirdly, another mark of gratitude is that it places a higher value on others rather than yourself. And I talked to you about Philippians 2, 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, a fourth mark tonight, number four. Humility lacks a preoccupation with symbols of authority and power. Humility lacks a preoccupation with symbols. You can put a period there, but you need to explain it. Of Areas that give you power or give you authority. Pride has an attraction to symbols that communicate authority or association with particular people. Because we want people to know that we are important. Uh, about a year ago, I, I read this on Twitter. And I thought, this, this is really good. I just laughed because it's true. And I've quoted it before, but it fits in this context. And uh, here's what the guy wrote. He said, no pastor ever had a bad day on Facebook or Twitter. Man, we had a big offering yesterday. Oh, look at our crowd today. I'm not saying that's wrong. But most people don't talk about their bad days, do they? But the truth is, people are helped more, and they know you're real when you talk about your struggles. Isn't that true? Say, I'm not doing too well, or we're really struggling. Then you take the mask off, and it's a scary thing to do that. But people trust you. Your family trusts you. Learn from that. And all of those those symbols that, that give you a presence, or you think are important, One day they're not going to be important. Humility isn't concerned with how you are perceived, but rather how you can help people. How that you can help people. Jonathan and David were were best friends. Friendship is important to me. And so I'm attracted to people in the Bible that were friends and learn from their relationship. And this is the best example that I find with these two men. Jonathan was the heir to the throne. His father, Saul, was the king, as I mentioned earlier. And along with this, with this role, with this leadership position, came symbols of authority. And the symbols, and we still have those symbols, they communicate to other people that you are the man, that you're important. And so, David, excuse me, Jonathan, who I believe was a better friend to David than David was to him. And I think David was a good friend to him, don't be mistaken, but Jonathan was a wonderful friend to David. Jonathan willingly let go of the symbols that told of the position that went with them for the sake of his friend. When his father was chasing him, trying to kill him in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1 and following, it came to pass when he had made an end 
of speaking unto John or into speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was a royal robe that was different than others that was upon him. And he gave it to David. And he gave him his garments, his royal garments, even to his sword and bow and his girdle or, or, or the belt that held all those things together. These weapons, the sword and the bow, would have been state-of-the-art. They would have been top-notch. And he gave these, these symbols to his friend because they didn't mean anything. It's not important to me because you're my friend. I'm not trying to impress you. And I don't care about this stuff because I believe you will be the king. And I'm willing to step aside for that. Um, we had a young man that uh, went to our Christian school. We had a school back in the 80s and early 90s. And he says he's an atheist now. I, I really don't believe anybody's an atheist at heart. I believe intellectually they have some problems with some things that God has done. I believe there's some bitterness and some things like that. But I, I really don't think at the core of the matter that, that they're fully atheists. I, I just don't believe that. But he says he is. There's some pain I'm sure he's gone through, even that I'm aware of. Uh, but we have a relationship and so uh, when my mom passed away, he wrote me. Um, when his mother passed away, I visited his mother. And so uh, I, I try to serve him as best that I can. When he graduated uh, from our high school, um, I'll never forget this. And he, he stood and he gave his graduation speech as a senior. He said, I remember when I first came to this school, and he said, I met Pastor Rick. He said, I didn't know he was a pastor for several weeks. And he said some other things. And I was on the platform because that was really important to me. I didn't know he was a pastor. And I remember my heart rejoiced because that's the way I wanted it. We were at a church in... Uh, well, I'm not going to tell you where, but we were traveling, and Paula and myself and my mom and Jeremiah and John may have been, we may have had John, but yeah, they were very small. They wouldn't even remember this. And the pastor got up, and he, he announced to the teenagers, and I'm the big cheese here. He was all full of himself. And I remember just sitting there, I was kind of entertained by it all, thinking that, wow, I can't believe... People put up with this, you know. So I've just learned not to express myself a whole lot because I, I can get in the flesh easy. So if I'm going to be in the flesh, I may as well be fleshly to myself and not to others and do more damage. My mom sometimes wasn't that way. So we got in the car, and I started the car, and my mama says, I'm the big cheese in this car. <laughs> And she never forgot that. I'm telling you, she would remind us. You remember that church and the big cheese? I said, Mom, I'll never forget it. All of these symbols of uh, getting a, uh, a earned or an honorary doctor's degree and coming into uh, the secretary and saying, uh, uh, the, the stationery here, could, uh, could you order some new stationery and put doctor? The bottom there. Now, I'm not demeaning degrees. Please understand. Could you kind of fix that? But, but don't tell anybody that I ask you to. Now, the problem with that is she knows who asked her to do it. And she hears you preach every week. There's a preacher that I know. I met him. I talked to him. I know this is true because his right-hand assistant told me this story. And... Uh, 
She was in our ministry at one time where he called her in and he said, I, I need your help. And on the corner of his desk, there were a big stack of pictures. And uh, she said, yes. And he pulled one up and it was a picture of him. And he said, uh, I need you to put these in every classroom on campus. I believe it's important that people know who I am. But when you put them up, you cannot tell them where the idea came from. Well, it was too late. In fact, she told me, and I've told hundreds of people. (laughs) Advertising places a great emphasis on symbols. They try to make you insecure. And uh, I remember when I, I was a youth pastor... And I, I would tell the young people, I said, you want to be popular? Which was a stupid question, wasn't it? Because teenagers really struggle with their identity and their self-image. You want to be popular? Oh, now this is the best lesson I've ever heard him teach. Then don't try to be. Don't try to be popular. Just help people. Serve people. Don't try to get ahead. Just, just be a blessing to people. So you'll have so many friends. Just serve people. Here's a question. What are some symbols that you are attracted to that communicate authority and pride? That's a very personal question, but one we need to answer. What are some things that, that maybe are dear to me that if they were taken away, I would say I'd be hesitant to release. But maybe God will, will take those things away because he, he wants us to teach us humility. Next, uh, Mark of... Humility is humility submits to authority willingly. It doesn't just submit to authority, but willingly. One of the consistent themes in Scripture is that of submitting to authority. Now, a proud person will not submit to authority. They want to be the authority. In fact, they, they strive to be that way. You know, I want the corner office. I want the perks. I want to... I want to grow up and I want to be a pastor. Uh, You know, it's one thing to love to preach, but do you love the people to whom you preach? If you won't preach to ten, why should God let you preach to a thousand? Notice in 3 John, this is on the screen for you, in verse 9, it speaks about a man named Diotrephes. John wrote to the church and he said, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes... And here's what I want you to see. Who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. How would you like for that to be said of you in the Word of God through the ages? I love preeminence. And, and the word there, actually in the Greek, it means this. I love first place. Not just in church work, but in everything. When uh, you have a fellowship, I'm getting in line first. I want the most, the first, the best. I'm going to get there. But usually it's about recognition. I can give up some small things as long as I'm getting there. A lesson I learned uh, years ago was, it's simple, but I never forgot it. Remember to be kind to your paper boy. We don't have those guys anymore. You can fill it in with a, a kind of a simple job. But he said, remember to be kind to your paper boy. You may sit in his court one day. And that's true. Just just be good to people. Don't always have to have the best place or the first place. Be submissive to authority. In Isaiah chapter 14, a section there is about Satan. Five times he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And he never says, I will be above God. He says, I will be like God. Because you can't be above God, and the devil knew that. I will be like the Most High. I will. Everything was about Him. There was no submission. There was all rebellion. Contrast that with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done. Wasn't I will, I will. He said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. There was a submissive attitude. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. The Bible says, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. 
All of you be subject one to another. All of us. Be clothed with humility. When I gave you that verse a couple of weeks ago, it talks about a, a servant's garment was underneath and he was identified as a servant. He said, put on that garment of servitude every day because God resists. He stiff arms the proud but gives grace unto the humble. One of the greatest days in your life is when you realize this is not about me. This church is not about me. It's not about you. It can go on fine without me. And go on fine without you. It's about Jesus. Have you ever submitted your will to the authority of Jesus Christ? That's that's the key component here. Until you, you've broken yourself and said, God, not my will, but thine be done. And here's a very personal question. Is there someone that you especially have problems submitting to their authority? Because the truth is, there probably is. Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and realize that maybe He has put them in your life to teach you humility. You can change jobs. You can change churches. You can even change families. But you're going to meet somebody that, you, that you're going to meet your match. And it will be the same person with a different, with a different name that you're going to have trouble with. The problem is not them. Sometimes the problem is you. And then humility enjoys peaceful relationships with others. Peaceful relationships. One of the dominant characteristics of pride is that it has conflicts. Proud people always are at the core of conflict. When you have differences with your spouse, when you have differences with your children, brother to brother, sister to sister, it's about pride, ownership. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10, only by pride cometh contention. That's very plain. Only by pride cometh contention. Where there's contention, that's the fruit. The root is pride. Somebody always wants to be right. Correcting one another over insignificant things. But it's interesting what the rest of the verse says, but with the well-advised, what does that mean? That's somebody's giving you advice is wisdom. Proud people won't listen to advice. They don't pay attention. Humility enables us to defer our wishes for the good of the whole. Pride pushes, demands, and is assertive until they get their way. We see this in Abraham and Lot's life. Genesis chapter 13, verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Let me time out there. Where did he get those? Where did he get the business acumen for that? He learned from Abraham. He learned from his uncle. We'll go through here in a minute. You'll see there was not any gratitude. That's not saying the boy wasn't sharp, but he was indebted to his uncle. He may have given him a starter herd or something, but he, he had a lot of knowledge he got from his uncle. And the land they were traveling was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. They, the grass was being consumed. Their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. The Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. Unbelievers were watching. Notice who took the initiative. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife. And you're going to see in a minute, he was the one that was taken advantage of. Now he was, he was the elder. Remember First uh, Peter 5, 5, Submit yourselves unto the elder. It should have been Lot said, Hey, whatever you want, uncle. I owe so much to you. No, it wasn't that way because this young man was filled with pride. Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. It's not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. What a deal, at least Lot is thinking. Lot lifted up his eyes. Beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And that was the difference. Abraham lived by faith, Lot lived by sight. 
well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. They separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Listen, next time you're taken advantage of and somebody rips you off, remember this passage. And the Lord said unto Abram, after Lot thought he got the best, after that Lot was separated from him, Abram, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, westward, all the land... All the land thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. He said, son, I'm going to take care of you. Because you were, you were humble in the matter. You see, when there's two kings and one throne, the result is competition. And the proud man will fight for the throne. Humility reduces competition because it is not fighting for a place because of who it is. It's humble. Now, here's a question I put there. Who do you most frequently have conflicts with in your home? You know who that is. It may be extended family, a brother, sister, a parent, a child. At work, at school, at church. And think through these things and remember. See, this is very practical. Humility is very, very practical. We've kind of given it a sanctified thing where, well, we just need to be humble. Well, God takes it serious and he says, well, I'm going to help you be humble. And we don't want his curriculum. And very quickly, humility lives a life dependent upon the Lord a life dependent upon the Lord because I cannot be humble. We started out with this idea, I cannot be humble apart from the Lord. And I, I think it's wrong sometimes where that is your goal. I want to be humble. Just walk with God. Read who He is in the Word. Take your place before the Lord. And, and you will be humble before the Lord. Humility lives a life dependent upon God says of our Savior in Philippians 2, 6, that Jesus was in the form of God, but he thought it not robbery, which means to selfishly cling to a privilege or a right. Even though he was in the form of God, he didn't cling to that privilege to be equal with God. And watch this choice. Humility is a choice. But Jesus made himself of no reputation. That means the word uh, no reputation means to empty out. Now, he didn't empty himself of his deity, but he emptied himself of the independent exercise of his attributes. Though he was God, he lived as a man in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That's important. That's how we live. Jesus lived the way that we live. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, and here it is again, he humbled himself. It was, it was a choice the way he was going to live. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Because humility requires a cross, a death to self. It's not about my will, it's about his will. Notice how he lived in communion with his father and he was filled with the spirit. John five seventeen. Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but had said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the son, watch this, the son can do nothing of himself. But what he seeth the father do? See the communion, the dependence? For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. He's listening. And then a few verses down, John 5.30, Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is judged, because I 
Seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. You, this, is, this is huge. This is crucial. The fact that he was born in Bethlehem means that he humbled himself, but, but he lived this out as a human. 100% God, 100% man. And then in John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, it said, Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He. And then I, watch, I can do nothing of myself. Now He could as God, but not as the God-man, because He was here to be our Savior. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And He that sent me is with me, The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. Always. That's not my testimony. But I I yearn for it that I would have such a communion with God that I would listen to Him. And that's what brokenness is. That's what humility is. You don't seek the fruit. You seek the root. And the the root is, is a dependence upon the Lord. And God cultivates this humility. Now, one of the ways that God does this, this dependence factor, is He brings trials in your life. We talked about it a little bit this morning. And you realize that I can't do this on my own. Trials are God's favor, God's great favor to you when He permits things to come in your life that you cannot handle so that you will not only grow spiritually, but part of that growth is in the area of humility. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, look at this. He uses Israel as an example. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Look at this. To humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. He says, I I put you there and I put you in difficult situations and you suffered because I was trying to break you down. I wanted you near my heart. And a few verses later in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 16. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna which thy fathers knew not. That he might humble thee. He repeats it. That he might prove thee to do thee good. At the latter end. You'll be grateful for this. And yet thou say in thine heart. My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. See the pride. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. God did this. Many years ago, it was about 1987, I was in another state attending a funeral. I was there with a friend of mine. And as we... A mutual friend of ours had passed away. And as we walked out of the funeral home, uh, I saw a a preacher that I had known. And, you know, we kind of shared words of grief. And I noticed something about him. He was was unusually humble. I say unusually because before that wasn't his calling card. He was large and he was in charge and everybody knew it. I mean, this guy was... Everything in the secular books of what a leader was. But immediately I knew something has happened to this man. Maybe he got saved. I just knew he's different. His spirit. Remember how I taught you last week that that humility is a spirit? It was on him. The way he said, the brokenness. Something was different about him. He said, Rick, have you met my wife? And he introduced me to a lady that was not his first wife. And I didn't know he got divorced and remarried. And uh, I said, no. And I took her hand and introduced myself. We got outside and I told my friend, I said, I, d- I didn't know that he had been divorced. I, he said, well, yeah, that happened. I said, okay. I said, but I'm going to tell you. I like him better now than I did before because it had had knocked everything out from under him. And I don't know all the things. I don't need to know them. But God will permit some some ugly things to happen to you. And sometimes he he doesn't even permit them. Sometimes they're, they're the things that you've initiated with your own life. 
to break you down as a person? Is God breaking you of your self-will or an area of your strength to teach you to fully rest in Him? Because usually your strength is a stronghold. That's the stronghold. Is God trying to break that down? And if He is, God, I give this to you. It's a whole lot better for God to do it, you to surrender it, than for God to have to take some severe measures. Last of all, I'll mention this quickly. Humility admits when it is wrong and responds properly to correction. Admits when wrong and responds properly to correction. Someone said the acid test of pride is how you respond to correction. Show you a verse and we'll be finished. Interesting. Talks about cosigning, but in the talking about cosigning, he talks about how you respond to correction, your attitude. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 3. I'm sorry, Proverbs 6, verse 1. Here's a father to his son teaching him about money and what not to do. My son, if thou be surety or guarantee for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, you shook on it. Thou art snared. You become trapped with the words of your mouth. In other words, I will assume responsibility for the debt. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. You're in a trap. Notice the words here. Do this now, my son. This is urgent. The Bible says, do this immediately. Now, this is about uh, cosigning. But in in the, the Scripture here, you learn something about humility. Do this now, my son. Deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go, and here it is, humble thyself and make sure thy friend. You know what he was saying? Go to him and humble yourself and admit that you made a mistake. Because he knew that takes humility. I messed up. I'm sorry. I did wrong. Humility admits when it's wrong and responds properly to correction. The last question is simply this. Are you quick to admit when you have done wrong? And do you receive correction readily? These little questions I gave you at the end are are very probing. And I hope that you will consider them. and, And maybe we, we can see where... Some areas that the Holy Spirit needs to work in us. But remember, seek the fruit, not the root. Abide in Christ. And He will make those good things happen for us, okay? Thanks for being here tonight. I pray for you.